Well, last week, we covered all of Hebrews 11, uh, the, the great hall of faith. And Hebrews 11 made it clear that faith is not just adherence to a, a certain set of doctrines. Faith is a lived thing. To, to live by faith is to live a life of obedience to God. And so we talked about this concept of a hero's journey, which is it's a narrative pattern that we find in many of the greatest stories throughout human history. A hero is called out of what is comfortable and familiar and into an unknown world. And he or she journeys through that, that unknown world with vision and courage and perseverance. And as a result, because of that hero's faithfulness, that previously unknown world is opened up to others. Odysseus, Frodo, Luke Skywalker, Simba, Harry Potter, Katniss Everdeen. All of these characters embark upon a hero's journey. And likewise, Hebrews 11 presents us with a list of heroes from the Old Testament. And among them, Abraham features most prominently. The life of Abraham was a hero's journey. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. As Abraham journeyed, his, his hope was in a heavenly city. He understood that his ultimate destination was the heavenly city of God. And so he was able to journey with vision and courage and perseverance. So this concept of a hero's journey actually helps us to understand the true meaning of biblical faith. It's not just adherence to a certain set of doctrines. Faith is a lived thing. The life of faith is a hero's journey. And so with that in mind, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of heroes, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race, the journey that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We are instructed to look to the hero's journey of Jesus. For the joy set before him, Jesus was a man of vision and courage and perseverance. He endured the cross, despised its shame, ascended into heaven, and opened up for all of us that heavenly city. Jesus has reached the ultimate destination, which Abraham was only permitted to see and to greet from afar. Jesus has gone before us, and he is preparing for us that heavenly city. And the heavenly city will one day descend to the earth 
And God will dwell with us and wipe away every tear from our eyes and death and mourning and crying and pain shall be no more. At the end of our hero's journey, we will come to this heavenly city and we will drink from the spring of the water of life. That is the future hope that we share with Abraham and with Jesus and with every faithful Old Testament saint. But if we are to reach this heavenly city, we are going to need endurance. We will need, as it says, to lay aside every weight and to run with endurance so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The life of faith is not a sprint. The life of faith is a long journey. And according to, to the author of Hebrews, on this journey, each and every one of us is carrying unnecessary baggage. We are all weighed down. Maybe it's, it's greed and the accumulation of material goods, which only serves to increase our anxieties. Maybe it's bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Maybe it's a life of lust for the desires of the flesh. No matter how it manifests in your life, sin is a heavy weight which must be continually set aside if we are to run this race with, endur- with endurance. I know, I know that's difficult. The author of Hebrews knows it's difficult. Jesus knows it's difficult. Life is difficult. And the struggle against sin is difficult. But verse 4 reminds us that there's, there's really no use complaining about the difficulty. After all, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, Jesus, who did resist to the point of shedding his blood, understands far better than you or me. Because unlike you and unlike me, Jesus struggled against sin to the point of death. Jesus did not give in to sin. He never gave in to sin, even unto death. So if anyone knows the difficulty, it's him. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, and keep going. Lay aside every weight and journey on. And remember, even when you struggle and suffer, You struggle and suffer as a child of God. Your struggles and sufferings are not to be regarded as meaningless. Your struggles and your sufferings are to be regarded as purposeful, fatherly discipline. Verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. I think there's a lot of confusion these days uh, regarding discipline. We're all aware of the danger and harm of domestic violence. Tragically, some children come to learn that the true authority belongs to whichever person can hit the hardest. And yet it's, it's also harmful to children when parents pendulum swing away from any responsibility to exercise godly discipline. Nobody wants to live in a society full of adult-sized children who never learned limits and never, never heard the word no. Godly discipline is a vital aspect of genuine love and care. To truly love and care for a child is to offer correction and discipline and training in righteousness. No human parent is going to do that perfectly. Only our heavenly Father disciplines perfectly. But make no mistake, he, he does discipline his children. Even Jesus submitted to his discipline. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that the founder of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through suffering. Even Jesus submitted to his heavenly father's discipline. And so if, if God is our father, then we should expect him to relate to us like a wise and loving parent, offering correction and discipline and training in righteousness. And we learn from the example of Jesus that this, this discipline often takes the form of suffering, what we would call suffering. God permits us to struggle and to suffer, not despite the fact that we are his sons and daughters, but precisely because we are his sons and daughters. We may, we may have a hard time accepting that, but ultimately, if we're, if we're going to make sense of suffering, we really only have a few options. Either, one, there is no God, and our suffering is meaningless, or, two, there is a God, and he doesn't care about our suffering. That may be even worse. Or three, there is a God, and, and he permits suffering for a reason, for a purpose. I, for one, would, would rather be in the hands of a wise and loving father than a, a cold and distant bureaucrat or a random and meaningless universe. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you struggle, when you suffer, God is not mistreating you. He is disciplining you as one of his beloved children. His discipline is not punishment, 
His discipline is character building. His discipline is making you into a person of vision and courage and perseverance. And this this change in perspective truly makes all the difference. This change in perspective transforms our struggles and our sufferings into opportunities for spiritual growth and maturation. Greater love, greater intimacy, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Truly, the, the difference between meaningless suffering and discipline is your willingness to receive it and to endure it by faith. The difference between meaningless suffering and discipline is your willingness to receive it and endure it by faith. Everyone suffers. But for the person who lives by faith, suffering has a purpose. You are on a hero's journey. Nobody wants to read a story in which the hero does not suffer. You are on a hero's journey, and and suffering doth a hero make. Therefore, verse 12, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. At this point, uh, the author is reminding us that the, the hero's journey is a community project. We are not solitary heroes on solitary journeys. We belong to a large caravan of heroes, and and we are journeying together. And that being the case, it becomes all the more important that we lay aside every weight and run with endurance so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It becomes all the more important that we lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees and make straight paths for our feet and find healing for whatever is broken. Because other people are depending on us. It's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to suffer. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to need others. But if your hands are perpetually drooping, and your knees are perpetually weak, you will not be able to serve others in their time of need. It matters how we journey together. The church is a large caravan of heroes, and we are responsible for one another. Look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, See to it, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to reach the heavenly city. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's, it's interesting that we have our bishop with us today because here in verse 15, we find the verb form of the Greek word for bishop. See to it, see to it that no one fails. Oversee that no one fails. Bishop so that no one fails. The the bishop's job is to oversee us, to shepherd, to love, to guard, to protect. But the bishop's job would, would be impossible if we were not also 
bishoping one another. We cannot leave all of the responsibility taking to the clergy. We must all take responsibility. First for ourselves, bishoping our own thoughts and emotions, and then for for other people, offering support and encouragement and guidance, and when necessary, loving correction, so so that no one fails to reach the heavenly city. Otherwise, verses 16 and 17 warn that we will end up like Esau. This reference to Esau appears to come out of nowhere, um, but in context, it, it actually makes sense. Again, life, the, the life of faith is a hero's journey. But Esau had no vision. He had no faith to see that, that heavenly city in the distance. And so he spent his days sinfully indulging his appetites. And when the the critical moment called for self-control and self-discipline and a bit of patience, Esau's short-sighted manner of living culminated in the forfeiture of his birthright. And you see, that's what was at stake for the original audience of the book of Hebrews. In their short-sightedness, they were tempted to abandon Jesus, to, to sell off their birthright. They were tempted to abandon the hero's journey because it was really difficult. They were facing persecution and intimidation and mockery. And so they, they had need of endurance, as it says in chapter 10. They needed a reminder to journey on. And fundamentally, that's what the book of Hebrews is. So fix your eyes on Jesus and his heavenly city. Lay aside every weight. Run with endurance. Do not grow weary or faint-hearted. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. And let's journey on together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are a good Father. Even when we struggle, even when we suffer, by faith we trust in your wise and sovereign will. Jesus, we look to you. We we consider your faithfulness and your endurance Lead us and and fill us with that same Spirit. Holy Spirit, apart from your grace and presence, we cannot and will not endure. So lift our drooping hands and, and strengthen our knees and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his heavenly city. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.